This is a podcast that seeks to bring the church world and the art world closer together. My name is Matt Anderson. Thanks for joining us today. I want to invite you to subscribe to this podcast or follow it, depending on the platform. If you can give us a five-star review, uh, I would appreciate that as well. And if you do, uh, I will build a koi pond in your backyard. Also, if you would like to advertise on this podcast, you can inquire that by emailing me at mattcastworld. That's all one word, mattcastworld at gmail.com. We would love to make that a reality. There's a famous quote. It has many attributions. It seems like the most reliable says that it comes from Malcolm Forbes, who is the founder of Forbes magazine, a very famous name in American lore. He uh, apparently said this, You can easily judge the character of a man by how he treats those who can do nothing for him. I want to repeat that again from Malcolm Forbes. You can easily judge the character of a man by how he treats those who can do nothing for him. Now we're concluding a series um, that we've been calling Potential Pitfalls for the Artist. And the heading of this part three is on influence. Now, here's an older version of this quote by the great English preacher, Charles Spurgeon. Uh, He wrote, I think you may judge of a man's character by the persons whose affection he seeks. If you find a man seeking only the affection of those who are great, depend upon it. He is ambitious and self-seeking. But when you observe that a man seeks the affection of those who can do nothing for him, but for whom he must do everything, you know that he is not seeking himself, but that pure benevolence sways his heart. Those are both amazing quotes. So we're talking about potential pitfalls of an artist if or when uh, we become successful probably as the world views it, or even you. And we've already talked about relationships and resources. These are things that don't necessarily change who we are. They reveal who we are. And today we're going to talk about the area of influence and how when we get that kind of influence, it doesn't change who we are. It actually reveals who we are. Some people don't even need a title to show the dark side of this. It happens in anyone when they feel themselves to be in a superior position. All I need to know about someone is how they treat the staff and servers at a restaurant. That's what I'm looking for. When they have the ability to boss people around or complain or demean and then use it, Like Forbes says, I know your character. As a youth pastor, after many a Wednesday night youth service, uh, my leaders and I would go out 
to eat after the service and we would have a blast. We had the same waitress every week. Her name was Jen and she was fantastic. And uh, to my knowledge was not a believer, but we would see her every Wednesday and we would just have a, a great time together. Well, I remember one night while we were eating, uh, she walks over to our table to kind of check on us. And I can see that she's been crying. I said, Hey, Jen, is, is something wrong? And she said, yeah, it's just, it's just another table over there. And she said, I was bringing them a pitcher of iced tea. And she said, you know, when it comes to iced tea pitchers, a lot of times they'll have a line that forms on the inside. It doesn't wash off. It's just because of the nature of the beverage. And so when I brought it to them, they asked me, uh, why did you bring us a dirty pitcher? And she said, I, I didn't. It is washed. And they said, oh, I suppose that's your real hair color. And I said, oh, Jen, I am so sorry about that. And then she said, it's okay. It's just another church group. I about slid out of my chair. This is what I mean that when influence comes, it reveals who we are and it just becomes on a bigger scale. Because some people do it and they really have no influence at all. But when they feel superior at some moment, they feel like they have to somehow establish that to feel better about themselves. Here's a great biblical example from Luke uh, chapter 7. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. I love the way how the scripture puts that. Oh, man. You want to talk about getting freaked out and have Jesus answer your thoughts? Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon the Pharisee, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, which was custom in those days. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. 
I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. That's a powerful statement. He who has forgiven little or has been forgiven little loves little. Jesus didn't need a title. I mean, he knew who he was. Some called him rabbi, but he was truly a servant. That's who he was. In Mark 10, 45, Jesus reminds us, some say it's, this is the theme verse of Mark. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Boy, the world needs so much of that. Our graceless, self-loathing, venomous world. All it takes these days is a blue check mark on Twitter or social media to see the graceless venom that famous people put out. Believing themselves to be untouchable or above it all. In 2013, a government official tweeted this. There should be a zero tolerance policy when it comes to sexual harassment and must send a clear message that this behavior is not tolerated. Well, last week, that same tweeter, Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York, after a lengthy investigation by the attorney general from his state and his political party, found that he had sexually harassed 11 women, saying that he broke state and federal laws. And if you read the report, trust me, this is more than just an inappropriate joke in the office. And see, if we're not careful, our authority, our influence, can cause us to really lose self-awareness. It can put us in such a state of ivory tower living that we lose all sense of self-awareness. The moment we stop serving, we stop living. I don't care how, how big of a thing you are or become. I always like to say to pastors when I get a chance, if you're too good to set up tables and carry chairs, then something's wrong. This is Senator Bernie Sanders from the hotbed of American football, Vermont. Now with the more woke, yet not woke enough, National Football League about to begin its next season, millions of Americans are getting ready to compete in their own fantasy football leagues. Over the last few years, I have looked at a variety of these leagues and what I saw disgusted me. All of them failed to equitably contribute to the needs of their communities. With this in mind, 
I am kicking off Bernie Sanders Fantasy Football. It's fantasy football the way I believe it should be played. First question, how much does it cost? Well, it varies. If you make less than $50,000 per year, it's totally free. But above that, it starts at $10 and gradually increases so that those who make $100,000 a year pay $1,000 to play. After all, they have to pay their fair share. When draft day comes, the lowest income earners will make three picks before the richest players select one. And that one pick must be a kicker. Before drafting, one should note that Bernie Sanders fantasy football players' profiles include their preferred pronouns and possible intersectionality, which could earn bonuses for performance. Now that equity has been established, the competition can begin. But in addition to the usual points for touchdowns, yards, sacks, and tackles, our league gives points to players who demonstrate their own personal disgust with America. Either by kneeling during the anthem, turning their back to the flag, or wielding a fist power salute in the end zone. Anything that speaks truth to power and defends a country that devised a system whereby someone who can play football well makes tens of millions of dollars and allows old communists to multiple estates. But there is an added wrinkle in the Bernie Sanders fantasy football. After each week's standings are posted, we will then redistribute the players so that the last place team gains half the players of the first place team and vice versa, all the way down the line. Our goal for the end of the season is that each team ends up with a 500 record. But since there are now 17 games on the schedule, we desire all teams to end eight, eight, and one. That's right. Every team will have one tie this season. This not only fosters a true sense of community, but gives you the feeling of inclusion that no matter how skilled or inane you are, you all end up at the same place. To sign up, go to our website, which is bsfantasyfootball.com. That's uh, initials of my name, bsfantasyfootball.com. Bernie Sanders Fantasy Football where you get out what you Putin. <laughs> Little joke there. Like it was yesterday. I was 23 years old, young in the ministry. I was at my first church, and I was actually the interim pastor of my church. And I'm just trying to figure out 
how not to drown. I'm preaching three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. This is the pre-computers. Uh, I'm, I'm hacking out all these things on a Smith Corona electronic typewriter. Uh, Google that if you're under 30. And I remember uh, through a series of events, uh, I was informed um, by someone that there was kind of a big deal evangelistic group that had come into town. I mean, we were a really tiny town, um, under 2,000 people. We were right on the Mississippi River, and then across from us was a, a little bit of a larger town that was more like 20, 25,000. And they were going to be in town for two days, and they needed a rallying point. They were going to do a couple of school assemblies to attract an audience, and then they would do a, a comeback rally somewhere, and that's where they could present the gospel. But um, I'm going to try to be careful here. Uh, they would do like physical feats. Uh, they weren't tremendously famous, but uh, they, they'd kind of made the rounds a little bit. I knew who they were. And so they would attract the audience with those things. And of course, they would do those things at night, but then the gospel would also be presented. And I remember that first night, we went to that, actually, the, the bigger town across the river. And uh, I had been informed that we were, I guess, the biggest building in town. I mean, our sanctuary sat 300 people. We're not, we're not talking the Rose Bowl here. But someone had said, hey, would you host the, uh, the rallies? And I, I remember I called a board member and I said, what do you think? And he said, sure, let's do it. So we went to that town across the river and, and uh, that night, I think it was uh, Thursday night, as I recall, my job, one of my jobs was to go to the hotel and pick up the guy in charge. And so I went to the hotel, I picked him up and drove him to our church. And it looked like we had about 80, about 80 teenagers in the room, which I thought was pretty impressive. I mean, we don't, we don't get humongous crowds um, in our town at the time. And so I, you know, I was pretty excited about that. I, I couldn't believe that these kids, I like, crossed the river to come over to our, our little town and, and show up. The doors of the sanctuary were solid wood. There was no windows. And so when we arrived, I noticed he, he opened one of those doors to look in the sanctuary and he sort of assessed the crowd because the room was about a third full. And he turns to me and he says, hey, um, hey, Matt, here's what we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to have so-and-so uh, drive me back to the hotel. And uh, what we're going to do is we're, we're going to let everyone know tonight that uh, I'll be back, I'll be here tomorrow night, you know, to really like build excitement. I don't, I don't, I still don't even know what that means. But um, he, we all know what was being said. The crowd wasn't big enough for him. And so sure enough, he, uh, he was driven back <laughs> to the hotel and uh, one of his other guys on the team led it and, uh, all those guys on that on that team were just had great hearts and phenomenal dudes. I I, I don't want to bash. But after he, he told me he was going to do that, and of course I, as you did too, sniffed through all that and smelled manure. I made a vow to myself. I'm like, I never want to be like that. 
no matter where the Lord takes me in ministry, no matter where he sends me, I never want an audience to be too small for me. Jesus, you know, he, uh, he talked to the multitudes, but you know, most of the time, he talked to small audiences. It was usually his disciples. And by the way, sometimes, even to this day, I, I speak to groups of less than 10 people. And ultimately, I, I know it's good for me. When I had the privilege of, of leading the youth ministries for the state in my denomination, um, and this is going to be hard to explain if you've never done this, but sometimes there are certain jobs or titles or positions that seem to get more celebrity status than other things. And, and as sort of the state youth director, that becomes one of those. You, you instantly acquire celebrity status within our subculture. And uh, I remember how easy it was, if I wasn't careful, to lose touch with what's happening in churches and boots on the ground kind of stuff. And so I, I would sort of insist to, um, I would tell my boss, man, get me out there. Would you just have me go to churches and preach on Sunday? I don't care what their size is. I, I, I want to be connected to reality. Because even at that low level, which it really was when you compare it to so many other things, you could so lose touch so quickly. I had a standing rule at all of our youth events that I was never to be introduced. Because I know what that kind of stuff is for me. Now, some can handle that. Uh, I have to be careful because that kind of stuff can be cocaine for me. And what can happen is you can start to design things around you getting that from an audience if you want to. It's really cheap applause is what it is. Uh, but some folks really love that. And for me, it's just as, it's best to put that as far away from me as I can. And when someone is powerful and influential, it can quickly lead to being completely out of touch with reality. So I'll tell a story on myself now that's not so good. Uh, I was um, invited to speak at a retreat. And it's a group I had spoken for many times, and I was excited for the invitation. So I said, yes. Well, later the same day, they called me back, and they said, uh-oh, we have a problem. Months ago, they had invited a more nationally known speaker to do their retreat, and he never responded. And when you know the same day as me, he, re he responds, he goes, hey, did you ever get my email saying that I can, I can do the event? Well, now he had two speakers. And so um, I said, hey, don't worry about it. I'll just bow out. And, uh, you know, if, if I had this guy coming, I would want to get as much out of him as possible. And, uh, and he said, no, no, actually, he goes, I, I talked to him. And, and he said, if you would do the morning sessions, he would do the evening sessions. Now, folks, I, I don't know if you've ever done youth ministry before, but morning time is not exactly magic time in youth ministry. <laughs> so I, I told the pastor, I said, hey, I'll, I'll think about it. I'll let you know. And I sat there going, oh, wow, how grand of him. 
You know, he'll give me the morning sessions, you know, while they're comatose, zombie-like, dead man walking sort of stuff. And then he'll get the evenings when they're all keyed up. Oh, how grandiose of him. And I called, uh, I called a friend of mine, and I told him my story of woe. I said, yeah, can, can you believe that? And my friend said, so Matt, is this about the kids or is this about your ego? Yikes, right? And I realized I was starting to sound like that guy from the evangelistic group. That I was somehow above having to just do morning sessions. It was a good exposure that I needed. And I ended up, of course, doing the event. And they slept through all my stuff. But anyhow, you know, we accuse politicians and Hollywood types of kind of that whole us and you sort of thing. And and rightly so. Because suddenly they go from a trusted circle of friends to an entourage. They have PR people, social media people, spokespeople, accountants, managers, agents, on and on it goes. They're not only more isolated from people who have to slug it out every day, but they're also insulating with layers and layers of people who are paid to keep other people from getting to them. But I have to say, we church folks can be just as guilty. I mean, we talk to our own echo chambers. We're all watching and reading only those things that verify our opinion we actually need to purposely listen to people who are different than us, who vote differently than us. And instead of just arguing and debating with them, we actually just listen. I recently heard about somebody who would definitely, if I told you who it was, you would say, wow, they're a very divisive individual politically. And... As I've been hearing stories about this person over the last few months, I found out that uh, he, he had a very surprising quality about him, is that when he would meet with people socially who were of the opposite opinion of him, they were all like geared up. They were ready to go to war and have this drag out debate. And then when they got together socially at a restaurant or something, he would actually just ask questions and want to know about their life and listen. Or he would talk about how they came to the belief system that they have. And he didn't argue. He just listened. And apparently, he kind of did this all the time. And people would walk away going, okay, I had no idea that was going to happen. There was no argument. There was just listening. I think that's part of not being insulated and not feeling like just because their policies are different than our beliefs, it's not an attack on us personally. And we can just listen, even if inside we're going, what in the world are you thinking? <laughs> I don't think we're going to win anybody over unless we genuinely show interest and love for another person. And I think that's something we as artists need to remember now. I mean, we're not going to be able to do a lot of the things that, that famous people do. We're not going to be able to leave $100 tips. You know, you'll hear stories like that. 
which I think is pretty cool. We're not going to be able to do things that, you know, people of means can necessarily do. And it won't suddenly come upon us if we hit it big. And like, well, you know, I'd love to be a, a kind, loving person that everyone, you know, can come to. And I would love to be generous. But, you know, I just don't have the means. Well, listen, there, we need to cultivate that behavior now. Even though we can't drop a $50 bill for a server, maybe we can be incredibly kind and patient with the server and we can compliment the job that they're doing and then leave still a generous tip from our means. That means a heck of a lot more than leaving a gospel track and no money. And we need to cultivate that, uh, cultivate that behavior now because, you know, if we get blessed, and let's hope that's what it is, a lot of famous people don't feel like it's a blessing after they've had it. But if we end up becoming a person of influence in, in our world, if we haven't cultivated that, we're going to become what we despise. We're going to become all those stories that we hear about famous people who we think are nice and really aren't nice. Be generous with your time, even if you forget the money aspect. Some people really respond to having quality time in their life. So take time and, and just really get to know them genuinely. Focus when you're with other people. Really focus. Turn your phone upside down on the table. Put it on silent. Because the only notification you need is their expression. That's just good for everybody. And I think we need to have conversations with people who are different. We need to get better at uh, asking questions and having genuine interest in them. Now, again, the other person has to be just as willing or it's a waste of time. But so many people regret their fame and success because they didn't really live biblically early on. And now they can't have real conversations with anyone because everyone talks to them like they're a fan. Submit yourself to Christ in all things. And even if quote-unquote success never comes, I think we will live transformative lives now and then wherever the Lord takes us. And that means a lot more than sales and shows and likes. We appreciate you being a part of the MattCast. Please share this with a friend. We would love to expand our MattCast family. For questions or comments, you can email me at mattcastworld at gmail.com. That's mattcastworld at gmail.com. Our theme music is by Sound of Fusion. This has been a production of Monumental Ministries. For more information about our books and resources, go to mattministry.com. Hey, thanks for having me over. I had a wonderful time.